I asked Candace to, to do that, just to put the, those words on your heart. We're going to meet a man in our passage today who's searching for silver and gold. He's begging for it at the temple. He's poor, and Peter doesn't have silver and gold to give him. But Peter gives him something so much more beautiful than silver and gold. Peter gives him Jesus. And when this man finds Jesus, his life is changed forever. And all of these things take place at a, at a place in the temple or outside of the temple called the beautiful gate. And that's not a real gate. That is not a real name of a real gate around the temple. That's a nickname for a gate that inhabitants around Jerusalem would have known. And I think what Luke is doing is something very similar to what he did in Luke chapter 1 when the field where Judas took his life, it was named Akadelma, which means the field of blood, but that was not the proper name. That was the name given to that field by the inhabitants because something horrific happened there. I think what Luke is doing is going on the other side of the spectrum. There's a beautiful gate. And something very beautiful happened there. And what happened at this beautiful gate is something more beautiful than silver and gold. And I think what Luke would want us to do this morning is to look for beauty in this passage. To look for God's manifold beauty that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's around us. And it's up for us to see it and to behold it and to enjoy it and to participate in it. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and read all of Acts chapter 3 into chapter 4. And I'll stop at verse 4. And the reason I'm breaking this passage up this way is because everything we're reading in Acts 3 through Acts 4 verse 4, it all happens on one day that this is supposed to be one big unit of everything that happened on this particular day in the life of Peter and John. Remember the last time we were in Acts, it says that they day by day did some things, and day by day the Lord added. Well, this is a snapshot into a day where the Lord did something very beautiful. Read with me. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and the man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have you, I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people 
utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is, that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we um, pray for wisdom and for power and for your Holy Spirit to give understanding through your servant. Thank you that you de desire and delight to meet with us and to speak to us, that we leave here, Lord, being worshipers, but also learners, those who know more about your character, those who see more of the beautiful mysteries of God hidden in Christ Jesus. Build us up, um, increase our faith, Increase our love and commitment to your kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some things in life are more beautiful than silver and gold. Silver and gold, or what we might translate money, or stocks, or coins, or cash, that it's vital for life. And yet what we see in our passage this morning is that Peter doesn't have that to give but what he does give this man is something so much more beautiful. 
And because these things are happening at a beautiful gate, I do think the onus is upon us to, it's, it's, it's to find beauty in this passage. And that's what I want. I want us to walk away from here with a sense of beauty. I want us to see that there are things in life that are more precious than money, more precious than your retirement, more precious than your savings account, more precious than your dividends. I want us to see beauty and to participate in beauty and to cultivate the beauty that we see here. I want to look at it under four quick headings. One is beautiful providence. Two is a beautiful picture. Three is a beautiful precursor. And four is the beautiful part. So in case you're writing notes, it's all beginning with beautiful. I want us to see the beauty of God's providence in our passage. God's beautiful providence. He is showing himself to be a God who rescues You'll notice in this passage that everything, uh, by and large, takes place in the temple. But if you were to have a highlighter like I do, and I highlight kind of repetitive words, the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple, or the beautiful gate of the temple, or Solomon's portico in the temple, that, that, that what Luke is doing is emphasizing place, like where these things are happening. And it's important because when you get to Acts 28, Paul is no, he is not in Jerusalem. He's not in the temple. Paul is in Rome, and he spends two years preaching the gospel without burden, without hindrance in Rome, and Paul himself says, be advised that the salvation from God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And so you're starting to see that, that, that God is first and foremost, before he sends Paul to the Gentiles, he sends his apostles to Jerusalem. He sends Jesus to Jerusalem. He does miracles around Jerusalem. When Jesus is killed in Jerusalem, he's raised in Jerusalem. And, and when he appears, he appears for days around Jerusalem. And when he ascends, the Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem. And when he sends his disciples, they go into the temple in Jerusalem. And you can see why God is doing all of this. You see it in Peter's sermon down there in verse 26. He says, God is doing this and sending Jesus to you first to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. In other words, God is keeping his promise to the Jews that though I will take salvation to the ends of the earth, I will not overlook my covenant people. That's what's happening here. God is going where the Jews would gather. But there's something else that's happening here. The last time we were in the book of Acts, I I, I tried to impress upon us that the early believers had a rhythm or a pattern or a shape to their life. And it says, one, they were together. They were together day by day, and they devoted themselves continually day by day to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and they were together day by day in each other's homes and in the temple. 
And day by day, as needs arose, those with means sold what they had to care for those who had little. That was the shape of the early believers. That was their rhythm. That was their practice. And so when you see Peter, notice where he is. He is with John together, going to the temple for the prayers And guess what? Peter has no money. Now, why might Peter not have money? Because the daily rhythm of the disciples back in chapter two was if you had excess and your brother was in need, you met that need. And so there's a shape, there's a rhythm, there's a practice to the lives of these disciples, which moves Peter and John to do what normal Christians would be doing in their day. Now, there's another daily rhythm that's happening in our passage, and it's the daily rhythm of the man who is lame. Now, lame here does not mean what I think about when I think about lame. Like, when I think about lame, the first thing that comes to my mind is uncool, right? Unpopular. But that's not the lameness that, that, that's here. This man has feet and legs and ankles that don't work. And he's been that way from birth. And he has a daily rhythm. Notice what it says. Look at verse 2. A man lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple. Now, that's his rhythm. Him and whoever went to his home to get him. And their daily rhythm was, we got a friend over here who can't walk. And we're going to go into his house and we're going to put him on a cot. And we are going to carry him to the temple. And when we get to the temple, we're going to lay the cot down and take him off and, and, and roll things out at the gate of the temple so he can beg. And then we got to go to work. And then we will come back at the end of the day to see if he has earned enough money to feed himself. That was their daily rhythm. And do you see what happens? In the providence of God, as Peter and John are carrying out the normal things that believers did, There is a collision. Here's a missionary strategy. Sometimes we need to go to Australia and China. Praise God for that. But there's another missionary strategy that's coming out of this text. And you know what it is? Go live a normal life. And as you carry out your normal disciplines and normal rhythms as a believer, your God is so big and so sovereign that he is going to put people in your life who are searching for silver and gold And you have the answer that is for something that is so much more better, so much better, so much more beautiful. 
And think about how all of this lines up. They're going to the temple to do what they do. This man's going to the temple to do what he do. And by the time the passage is over, 5,001 people come to faith. That's a big God. And it means that if you're a non-believer, it is not on accident that you know Christians. That is a big God putting people around you who know truth. It's not a coincidence. It is a big, providential, beautiful God. Here's what it means. Andrew Peterson has this beautiful quote. He says, there are no unsacred places. There are no unsacred moments. There are only sacred moments and moments we have forgotten are sacred. If this is true, then it is our duty to reclaim the sacredness of our lives, of life itself. And the first step is to remember, is to remember that the dream of Eden, it shimmers at the edges of things. To remember that the madman on the corner was made in God's image. To remember that as we go to work and as we play and as we suffer and as we celebrate, they are all sentences in a good story being told by God, a story arcing its way back there from the fall all the way to the new creation. There are no unsacred places. There are no unsacred moments. There are no unsacred people. Only places, people, and moments that we have forgotten are sacred. That's beauty right there, y'all. That we serve a God this big who gets into the ordinary affairs and rhythms of our life to bring about rescue. That's beautiful. The next thing we see that's beautiful in this passage is the beautiful picture of the people God is rescuing. It's a beautiful picture. You see, I think as we read Acts, we're going to start to see this painting that the Holy Spirit is painting, and that painting is a picture of his church. It's what his, he wants his church to look like, and that church does not normally fit the picture maybe that you and I would paint and definitely not the picture that the world would paint. And yet what Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts is saying, hey, let me show you, these are the types of people that God is redeeming. And so last week, remember, the church is a church diverse socioeconomically. It's not just a fellowship of the wealthy. It's a fellowship and a family and a community of those who have extra and those who struggle. And our lives are enriched by this. And what we start to see in our passage this morning 
is another mark of the church, an anchoring mark of the church, and it flies in the face of what was the norm in Jesus' day. I want you to pay attention to where this man was laid day after day. Was it in the temple? Or was it outside the temple? It was outside. This man took his first steps in the temple when he clung to Peter. Here's what it means. It means that what the religious leaders did in Jesus' day was to put a barrier up. That if you were not healthy, you were not in. And if you were lame or blind, you couldn't come in. And what they did was they misapplied a passage from Leviticus. And I'll read it and listen carefully. Leviticus 21, verse 16. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face, or a limb that is too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest, who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You hear that? God is forbidding Aaron's offspring, the Levites, from serving as priests if they have a blemish. But nowhere in the Bible does it say a blemish keeps you out of the temple. And a man by the name of David Raza Fiar Ivani, say that, right? Has a 21-page biblical theology on this particular topic. And here's what he writes. There is no evidence from any Old Testament writings that the lame should be excluded from the temple. Lame Levites are excluded from serving as priests, though he could still eat the bread of the priests. The priests must be without outward blemish, just like the animals they sacrificed. And so, in Jesus' day, they went farther than God's law. This is the reason why they put Jesus out of the temple, because he healed the blind and the lame in the temple. It's the reason they put the blind, the blind man out of the synagogue and Jesus went back to get him. 
It's the reason why Peter, walking into the temple, sees this lame man, and he says, you look at me. I see you. And Jesus sees you. And though they kick you out and won't let you in, this is not the family that God is building. You start to see here that the Lord is adding to his family those who are physically fractured, those who suffer from Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and dementia and Alzheimer's with traumatic brain injuries and bodies that are broken. They are in because of faith in Jesus. And this is important because the church has not always gotten this right. The church has told black people to sit upstairs. The church had to have the Americans with Disability Act to remind us to make architecture that is friendly for people with disability. The family that Jesus is building, beloved, it is for those people. But that's not it. There are times in the Bible, y'all, when we read it and the headings do an injustice. One example is Luke 15. Luke 15, the prodigal son, singular. But the first sentence in that section is the man had two sons. And what Tim Keller goes on to say is that there are two brothers, each whom represent a different way to be alienated from God. I want to submit to you that the same thing happens in our passage today. If you look right above chapter 3, the lame beggar is healed. But all of this happens on the same day. If you turn over to chapter 4, verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. How many healings took place on that day? If you think the physically lame man was the only person healed that day, you're missing what Luke is doing. There, were, there was a man who was physically lame who was healed that day. But there were 5,000 other men who were just as lame, who were healed on that day. Stephanie Hubach, she writes, disability is a normal part of life in an abnormal world and not an abnormal part of life in a normal world. Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled against God. Their rebellion has adversely impacted every aspect of creation. Our world there became an abnormal world. This marring of creation permeated not only the physical, but the spiritual, intellectual, emotional, psychological, and the social. This is true for every person. 
physical disability is essentially a more noticeable form of brokenness that is common to all of the human experience. Yet much of our energies in life are directed towards denying this reality. You hear that? When we see physical brokenness, it's a pointer to the ways in which we are all broken in some way. Those 5,000 who got saved that day, they've been lame from birth. You know why? Because they could see and they were blind. They could walk into the temple, but they were still following the course of this world and by nature children of wrath. They could hear the sounds in the temple, but they could not hear the voice of the good shepherd until God did the same thing for them that he did for this man born lame. He told them that day, you rise. He told them that day, scales fall off and you see. He told them that day, you hear my voice and you come to me through the preaching of the word. They are no better or than this other guy over here. They're all lame. And the beautiful picture that God is painting of his church is this. He's building a multi-everything church. Physically frustrating forms of brokenness more easily noticed as well as emotional, social, and psychological and sexual brokenness that we so easily hide. He's a beautiful God who's building a church and a family where we experience the fall in numerous different ways. And what we have in common is faith in Jesus. I need you. I can't make it without you. That that man believed and he was healed. And they believed and they were healed. This is God's glorious design for the church. And we're a better church for it. Stephanie Hubach says that those touched by disability will often run laps around us when it comes to showcasing attributes of Jesus. They are far more patient. They're more attentive to detail. That they will be present with you and not be thinking about the next thing to do. And we're a better body because of this. And we're a better body when people who have brokenness in other areas but who are strong and can lend hands and can help that this is God's glorious and beautiful picture, that's beautiful because the world would say we separate and Jesus say 
we're unified around him. We also see a beautiful precursor of what is to come for all who were rescued in this passage. This is an interesting scene that what happens in verse, uh, chap- verses 1 through 11, it gives way for a sermon that goes from verse 12 through verse 26. I won't go through all of the sermon because it sounds a lot like the sermon Peter just preached, uh, but I will highlight parts of it. Notice what Peter says in verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 21, speaking of Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Did y'all catch what Zach read for us this morning? He, He read to us from the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah saw a day. He saw a day when those who were anxious in heart would be strong. He saw a day when those who were lame would walk. He saw a day when those who were mute would cry out in praise. What is Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying one of God's promises to you, those whom he has rescued through his son, is one day there is going to be a grand reversal and a full restoration. That as far as the curse is found in your bodies and in your souls, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is coming to restore. And you know what? We get a glimpse of that in our passage This is like the appetizer before the meal. This is a down payment. It's to let you know that what the chef is cooking in the kitchen, if the appetizer is off the chain, then you wait till he gets the rest of the food out. And here is what we have in our passage. It is an appetizer. It's the precursor of what's to come for all who believe. You'll notice that this man had been blocked out of the temple his whole life. And when he meets Jesus, Peter takes him by the hand and he walks this man into the temple. And this guy is like skipping and leaping and praising the Lord. And everybody recognizes him as the man who had been out there begging every day. That is refreshment breaking in in the here and now. This man beholds his God. And by the way, those legs that weren't working... They're working now. This is, a, this is God taking what Isaiah prophesied and saying, Bloop, let me give you just a little sample of what's to come. It's the people who have been going into the temple 5,000 strong who were blind. And on this day, they sang amazing grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found was blind. But now I see they see they see the temple and their God in a whole new way. And this is what is in store for you, beloved. If you're in the family of God, 
the story of God arcs from the fall, from rebellion to his rescue, to refreshment now, to a full restoration later. Jesus has entered the story and he has rewritten the end. Where has the curse been found in your life? Is it a mind that's failing? One day it will be restored. Is it a condition that you suffer with from birth? Jesus is going to fix it. Is it bones that ache from aging? You're going to get a new glorified body. Is it a heart that leaks? He'll fix that. And those of us with emotional, psychological, sexual, relational, brokenness, he's going to fix that. You won't always suffer. You won't always carry about this body of death. He's going to fix that. That's why Isaiah says the anxious in heart will be made strong. The lame, they will walk. This is a complete restoration of all things. And it's beautiful. And you get a glimpse of it in our passage today. This is what is in store for all of God's people. And our last point. It's a beautiful part that those of us who are rescued can play. Did you notice that Peter gets it wrong, y'all? He gets it wrong when he's with Jesus. He gets it wrong when Paul has to confront him to his face. This ain't one of those moments when he gets it wrong. Peter gets it right here. He's experienced God's rescue. And did you notice what happens in our passage? He doesn't ignore this man. He says, look at me. And then he preaches a sermon and 5,000 people come to faith. And it's unlikely that any of us in this room will ever do this on one occasion. But what I want to do is maybe ease your mind just a little the beautiful part that we get to play in this is really simple. It's to make Jesus beautiful. Jesus is beautiful. And what Peter does in our passage is to get out of the way and to show them how beautiful he is. You'll notice the opening words out of his mouth in his sermon is men of Israel in verse 12 why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Verse 16, Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Do you hear what Peter is doing? Peter is saying, brother, don't worship me. Don't look at me. I'm not that beautiful, but he is. And let me tell you about him and about his power, his might, his grace, his goodness, his love, his presence, that Peter's entire sermon is about how do I make Jesus look as beautiful as I can? How do I make God look as beautiful as I can? 
How do I do that? One, I tell you that the God who's doing this today is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This God made a promise long time ago that he's going to send a servant, his only son, and he's going to send his son, who is the author of life. He's going to send him. But God already knew that you and your iniquity would not receive him, but kill him. But in you killing him, you're actually carrying out the plan and purposes of God. God's plan was to make him who did not sin become sin so that you who are full of sin can become righteous. And so what you need to do is because you acted in ignorance and in unbelief, turn, turn from your sins, receive God's gracious gift of pardon. What God has done for you in Jesus is to take your sin stained garments and he blots your sin out. By taking your sin upon him, he goes on a cross and dies in your place God vindicates his perfection. He vindicates his holiness. He vindicates his righteousness and he vindicates his mercy and love towards you. And God accepts the payment for sin because he raised his son from the dead. And the same Jesus that you killed, he's come to give you life. The same Jesus you cursed, he's come to bless you. The same Jesus you abandoned, he's come to heal you of all of your diseases and all of your iniquity. The same Jesus you cast out, he's come to bring you in to bless you. He's that beautiful. And when those people hear that the same Jesus they killed is back in front of them to give them life. That's beautiful. And their hearts are broken. And they come in faith to Jesus. And God is pleased to carry out his beautiful rescue plan through partnering with rescue people. What set this in motion? What set the stage for Peter's words? Was Peter's beautiful deeds. Look at me. I won't ignore you. I see you. I can't give you money, but I can give you Jesus. It says that Peter stayed with him and the man clung to him. And Peter walked this man step by step into the temple. His good deeds paved the way for good words that brought about good salvation. What if I told you that this is God's plan and it's beautiful? He's painting a picture of his church. And you know what he tells you and I? I'm partnering with you. We may not be able to heal the sick or raise the dead or cure lameness, but we sure can help and be merciful and present and kind. 
and give an answer for what is motivating us to treat people with dignity and respect. When I was a kid, I used to love to draw and paint. And one of the favorite shows I watched was Bob Ross. Some of y'all are laughing, if you, especially if you're around my age. You, kids, go, go Google Bob Ross, right? But what he would do is he would start this 30-minute show with a blank canvas, and it would be a blank canvas here, and he would have his art utensils, he had an afro and this calming voice, and it would be blank. And, and he would begin the show by just, you, can, you do it like this, and you put the, the, the river here, and you put the landscape here. And, and he would spend the whole show painting, right? And at the end of the show, he would say, now you pick up your brush, have a beautiful picture in mind, and you get to painting. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And what God is telling us in Jesus, pick up your paintbrush and get to painting. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we bless you. I pray, Lord, that we would see beauty around us, your beautiful providence as you allow our lives to intersect the lives of others. I pray that we would look at our church and see the beauty that is here because you are reconciling all types of people to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would see the beauty of the full restoration of all things that awaits us. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the beauty that you bestow upon us to partner with you in this way. So help us, God. Amen. Let's stand and sing.